If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Let us bow our heads together. We are not quite as dressed up today, Holy One, on this second Sunday of Easter. The itchy dresses and smart bow ties have been put away. Leftovers from Easter dinner are long gone. The chocolate bunnies are no longer with us, so to speak. But according to the text, this is when things really started happening. An appearance, another appearance, the spirit showed up and believers got organized. The book of Acts tells us that one of the first things they did was to make sure everything they owned was held in common. There was no need for anyone to be in need. So maybe we should take a page out of the book for our next move. Easter is a 50-day long season. It is also an orientation, a way of life. Help us, Holy One to stay with the feeling. We pray in the name of Jesus, who wouldn't stay dead. Amen. Our guest preacher this morning is Reverend Dr. Richard Finley Ward, former Fred B. Craddock Professor of Homiletics at Phillips Theological Seminary. Richard graduated from Oklahoma Baptist University with a BA in speech and drama and went on to get an MFA in drama at Trinity University before getting an MA from Christian Theological Seminary and PhD in performance studies from Northwestern University. After serving in Methodist churches in 1989, he became an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. His teaching career includes positions at Candler School of Theology Yale Divinity School, Olive School of Theology, and Phillips Theological Seminary. And he is a member of the Academy of Homiletics and the International Network of Storytelling. After retiring last year, Richard spends most of his time in Colorado making trouble with his wife, Amy. Richard is my own beloved preaching professor, also coming from a very Baptist background to the United Church of Christ. His teaching continues to influence how I approach the text and shape a sermon, 
And every single week I hear him say, say something theological, Lori. There is no one who retells a Bible story like Richard. And he didn't even give me a hard time about asking him to preach the Sunday after Easter. Thank you for being with us, Richard. We are so grateful and we are ready to learn. Listen to these words from the Gospel of John. That morning, the disciples had heard the report that Mary had seen the Lord. But on the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors to the house where the disciples had been meeting were shut and locked for fear of the Jews. But Jesus came to them and said to them, Peace be with you. And then he showed them the marks of the nails in his hands and the wound in his side. And they rejoiced because they were seeing the Lord. So he said to them again, Peace be with you. And then he said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he breathed on them. Whatever sins you forgive, they are forgiven, he said. But whatever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, Thomas, who was called the twin, was also one of the twelve. But he wasn't with them when Jesus had appeared. So when the disciples came to him, they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, Unless I can see for myself the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger into them and put my hand into the wound in his side, I'll not believe. But a week later, the doors were still locked. The disciples were still in the house, but this time Thomas was with them. And again, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Look, see, look at the hands, look at the marks there. Look at the wound in my side. Touched me. Stop unbelieving and believe. But Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, You believe because you've seen. Well, blessed are those who believe even though they have not seen. And that's the story from the Gospel of John about a time when Jesus appeared to his disciples and to Thomas. When I uh, preach at different places these days, I usually will begin the sermon with a prayer. 
uh, with words that go something like this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. It's a good prayer. It's a helpful prayer. It, it helps me to settle down and begin to focus on what it is that I want to say. And if, and if I were honest, it helps to settle my nerves. <laughs> and hopefully it gives the listeners a chance to get used to the sound of my voice and, and prepare to hear whatever it is that I've been given to say. But the scope of that prayer is too limited for today's sermon. I don't want the focus to be uh, on me as the preacher. I, I, I want to have the focus be on all of us. Because I want us to have this patience and the courage and the grace to come to grips with what we have experienced over the last year, the last time that we looked at these Easter texts. So, I know we're anxious to move on. I, I know I am. We're getting vaccinated. We're, perhaps we're even meeting in small groups and daring to lower our masks for one another and see each other's face for the first time in a long time, perhaps. And yet, I think if we are to see more clearly what the good news is in this text from the Gospel of John, I think we would do well to take into account the grief, the loss, the disappointment that we've experienced over the last year. So, will you pray with me? We come before you, O God, praying that you will open our eyes and open our ears, open our hearts to what's good about this news today. Amen. Well, let's face it, we've been locked up over the last year. Locked up and locked away. Why? Because we were afraid of what was on the other side of that door. And it was right to close those doors and to be afraid. The pandemic was raging. Remember when the hundreds of people began to get sick and die, and then it was the thousands, and then it was the hundreds of thousands and more all over the world. There was real danger out there. We were right to take precaution. But for many, there was more than the pandemic to be afraid of on the other side of that door. If you were black or Asian American, there was a lot more to be afraid of. Or even a, a member of Congress, as it turned out. So while we were busy putting masks on to prevent our, our catching, the pan, uh, catching the disease, 
many of the other diseases that infect our society were being unmasked, like the systemic racism, white supremacy, even the very concept of truth-telling, the very foundation of our democratic government was being unmasked and under assault. There's no doubt that we've been wounded over the last year. And in our corporate grieving, we've perhaps been showing one another our wounds. Now, it's too early to really assess the consequences over what's happened, but psychologists and sociologists and uh, a, a, column, a, 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 a neuroscientist by the name of Mike Yassin said, we're all walking around with some kind of mild cognitive impairment. Some of the people I've been reading have a different name for it, something, a, a phrase that's come into our vocabulary, pandemic brain. Have you heard that one? Have you had the experience, they ask, of, uh, with a rueful smile, of walking into the kitchen and then forgetting why it is that you walked in there, aimlessly wandering around the house, maybe stopping to have a look out the front door with a, at nothing in particular? How about the time when you were getting out of the car to go to the grocery store and you forgot your mask? Mild cognitive impairment. Pandemic brain. It's on one side of a grim spectrum. Mild cognitive impairment on this side. Disappointment at the lack of a ceremony of graduation or retirement. Loss of income. Loss of opportunity. Loss of life. It all adds up to trauma. Trauma like that is our point of contact with this story that I told a minute ago, a story of our ancestors in faith. Trauma beats like a heart behind the door where the disciples gathered. The doors of the house, it says, were locked for fear. Fear of the Jews. Now, I want to get one thing very straight here. All of those in that house, those disciples, those followers, were Jews. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi that they followed. So the Jews that they're talking about on the other side of that door were religious authorities in collusion with the Roman Empire, the imperial government, and had named those that were gathered in the house as enemies. They were on their enemies list. And if found, the disciples had something to be afraid of because they could have been subject to the same kind of treatment that Jesus, their master, had been subject to. A show trial, torture, 
maybe even a mass execution by crucifixion. They had good reason to be afraid. Barricaded behind a closed door in a locked, locked up house? You bet. Paralyzed by the fear of Jesus' executioners and the real power that they had? Understandable. Say, why don't we go outside and, and see for ourselves if what Mary said was right, that the Lord is risen, not on your life. Even in the story where Jesus himself shows up and presents his resurrected body, shows them the wounds and the wound in the hands and, and the wound in the side and says, peace to you. It wasn't enough to unlock the doors. Even though he had said, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. The door stayed locked. Except, of course, when Thomas came knocking. Oh, that's a moment of relief in the story for me. I'm glad that John's gospel includes the story of Thomas. He's, he's my representative in the story, and I suppose he represents that incredulous non-believer that's in the heart of every believer. Because he, he represents those who resist giving easy answers to the complicated questions of faith. I don't know about you, but I have lived through many dark nights of the soul. And coming out on the other side of those has always taught me that there are just some questions about this life of faith that remain unanswered. I've learned to accept that much of Christian faith is shrouded in mystery I've learned to sing that chorus as I grew up as a child from the older ones and the wiser ones than I, who had had different kinds of life experiences. Farther along, farther along, we'll understand it all. We'll understand it all by and by. Still, still, there is that within me, call it my inner Thomas, that wishes, even prays, for just a little more proof that Easter is real, that it makes a real difference in the kind of world I live in. If we were to take Easter seriously, that at that time, Jesus escaped the grip of death. Then it turns the world as we know it upside down. But it's in the right side up that we have to, world that we have to live in. Thomas is in this story, I believe, to remind us as if we even need to be reminded that living into Easter faith is for disciples in every age difficult. We'd like to see evidence that Easter 
is making a real difference in the world outside that door. In a world where the power of death is so strong that it bangs on the door that we have kept locked. It would take a miracle for peace to make a difference in a world like that, wouldn't it? Well, there's a miracle in this story. Thomas gets what he asked for. He gets an audience with the risen Christ. And the disciples get a bonus. They get a second visitation, a second appearance from the risen Christ. And once again, when Christ appears, what does he offer? He offers peace. Not the kind of peace, as he says in another place, that, that the world gives. And by that, I think he means not the kind of peace that the Pax Romana was known for, the kind of peace that suppressed violently disagreement, the kind of peace that would quieten, even put to death, someone who is resisting arrest, the kind of peace that comes after a knee goes on the neck of someone struggling for breath and then is still. Not that kind of peace, but the kind of peace that is present even in the presence of death, even when death is knocking at the door. So, the disciples in the story, including Thomas, get what they ask for. And at this great distance in time, we get something too. Blessed are those who believe even though they have not seen. We get a blessing. But even still, my inner Thomas is not quietened by that. I look at this story and my inner Thomas says, oh, they get an appearance, but we get a blessing. Is that supposed to be a consolation prize? No, says that spirit, that Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed into us and promised that that spirit would counsel us. No, says the Holy Spirit, it is not a prize, but it is a promise. Wherever you are in time, wherever you are in your faith journey, even if you find yourself out on the very edge of faith where it's almost impossible to keep on believing, whatever doors that you have, that you find yourself locked behind, God in the person of Christ, 
will come looking for you. There is no locked door that can keep Christ out. There is no barrier or obstacle that can keep God's love from reaching you. Like Jesus in the story, God wants to be known. God is willing to walk down the hallways that hardship has left you in, lost, afraid, isolated, and will find you. It's not a prize. It's a promise. And I can bear witness to that. I want to close by telling you a story about how my inner Thomas got what he needed at a time when he needed it most. Not long ago, darkness and despair and depression that had been haunting my son for a long time finally enveloped him. And he took his own life. When I heard that news, I wanted nothing more than to be locked away from the world. I wanted to be behind some door. Where I could be in denial. Where I could hide from the work of grief that I know I needed to do. Where I could hide from the hurt. But even that door could not keep the love of God out. Like the disciples, I did not recognize Jesus at first. I had to hear the words of peace many times before I was able to take them to heart. But soon, as friends and colleagues and my spouse embraced me, I began to realize who it was whose arms were embracing me. They were the arms of one who had overcome death. They were the arms of one that was embracing my son, even in death. Even death could not separate me and him in the bonds of that love. And I knew that Easter was real. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City.
More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.